It's Wednesday night here in Jacksonville, Florida. Ridiculously hot. The temperature in the car says 99 degrees as I drive to the course. But that doesn't keep people from getting out to the driving range. There's actually a surprising amount of people, and maybe you can relate. You have the college kids over on the left-hand side of the range with only their drivers trying to hit it as far as possible. You have the family in the middle with two kids. He's trying to continually best each other, hitting as many shots as quickly as possible. And you've got a couple of older gentlemen who try and hit that perfect shot every time. An outburst of swearing occasionally make its way across the range as they slam their club into the ground, continually frustrated that every shot doesn't go perfectly straight with the same distance as they had 20 years ago. It's really the American driving range story. Ever since 1914, when Donald Ross decided to build a practice facility at Pinehurst, we've been beating buckets of balls and searching for that perfect swing. But it's time that that story stops. Because the research says that going through those actions, going to the range, getting the biggest bucket possible, hitting ball after ball, just trying to find that next thing to hit good shots, doesn't work. Today, we're talking about how you learn, how to take those boring, frustrating range sessions and turn them into something useful, productive, and scientifically proven to work. We're going to cover research that's been around for 40 plus years, but still not being used effectively, specifically block and random practice with an expert in the field of motor learning and skill acquisition. Tim Lee, and I'm a professor emeritus at Uh, McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Welcome to the Golf Science Lab, a place for you to learn what's truly going on in the world of golf science while bringing you the insights so that you can actually improve. If you want to learn more, get all the resources, papers, and updates in this first season of the Golf Science Lab, head over to golfsciencelab.com backslash insider and get on our insider email list and you'll get access to some awesome exclusive content you're not going to want to miss out on as we dive in to the first season of the Golf Science Lab on motor learning. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about how you learn, specifically how we practice. And to really understand what Dr. Tim Lee is going to reveal in this episode, we have to go to the core of what golf really is, and that's a problem. What the research tends to suggest is, is that rather than view golf that way, view golf as a problem-solving process where the problem is to get the ball from point A to point B. And the solution is the type of, of swing that you implement. And the way to do it from point A to point B can be a myriad of different ways. And it's not just one way. In fact, there's one argument that, in fact, we can't re- ever repeat a swing exactly from one time to the next. So why bother trying? Why not rather put the emphasis upon, okay, here's the problem. Here's where we want to get to. How am I going to execute that? And the way to go about learning to do that is to practice that way. In other words, okay, here's the problem. How am I going to execute something that will get problem solved? And that the way to practice that is to create a new problem on each and every practice attempt. So when you put another ball down, create a new problem and then figure out how I'm going to get there from point A to point B. It might be the same club, but you might say, okay, I've got a seven iron here. I'm hitting it downwind. Okay, and now let's imagine I'm hitting it into the wind. How am I going to execute that problem or 
solve that problem differently. Uh, and it might come up with, you might come up with a completely different way of hitting that seven iron, even though it's the same club. I'm hoping for you that this is a pretty clear picture to see. However, most people are still in the dark on this, preferring to simply keep going with conventional wisdom and not make a change that requires, well, as Dr. Tim says best. For one thing, I would think you'd have to be courageous to, to say, okay, you know what? This other way of practice isn't working. Um, I need to try something different. And I, I think it takes courage to say, um, I'm not going to practice this way anymore. I'm not going to beat balls, uh, as Lynn Marriott and Pia Nielsen say, scrape and hit, where I just, you know, pull another ball in and hit it again and pull another ball in and hit it again, where you're, you know, don't uh, take a new line. You don't set up differently. You don't need, some people don't even change their grip. You just pull a ball in and hit it. I think it takes courage to, and conviction to say, okay, this isn't working for me. I need to try something different. Uh, and, and when you do that, you also have to be aware that it's probably not going to work very well out on the, on the range because doing that is difficult. Uh, hitting ball after ball after ball is actually easy. Uh, but as we all know, golf is not particularly an easy game. And if you try to make it easy on the range, you might be just fooling yourself. So I think that you have to be courageous and, and be convinced that this is going to work with you. Something that, that adds a little bit more difficulty to practice may end up benefiting you in the long run by being able to take it to the course. So now that we understand the why, let's get into some details of what you can do to improve. The first thing, the very foundation of motor learning, two ways to practice. Something you might have heard a little bit about before. This is block and random practice. In terms of the research, um, and this started, the research started in earnest back in 1979 uh, in a paper by Shea and Morgan, and, and they did... Uh, a study in which they compared two groups of practice and one group of individuals practiced and they were practicing three different, let's just call them motor skills, three different variations of a, of a motor skill. And what they did is they had a set number of practice trials and their study it was 54, but it could be any number. And they had 18 practice trials on each of the three different tasks. And block practice was that they would practice task A for 18 trials in a row task B for 18 trials in a row, and task C for 18 trials in a row. So it's a very drill type of practice, minimal amount of interference from the other tasks into practice of any one task. Um, and that was contrasted with the second group, which they called the random group, in which there was no more than two trials of any one task in a row. Okay, so they might go A, B, A, C, maybe another uh, trial of C again, and then back to A, then to B. And in the end, they had the same number of practice trials as the block group, 54, same number of trials of each task as the block group, 18. The only difference was the order in which they practiced the trials. So this was a random, other people call it interleaved type of practice, uh, but the notion was is that there's no or minimal amount of repetition of the same task. To get really basic, block practice is hitting 10 seven irons in a row. 
Random practice is hitting a driver, a sand wedge, a three iron, a four iron, a driver, etc. But these two differences have a massive effect on skill acquisition, which ultimately means what your scores look like and how to lower your handicap. Well, one of the things that happens is that during the initial stage of practice, if you will, during the actual performance trials or practice trials, block practice actually uses your results in better performance. So you, if you can imagine doing something 18 trials in a row, you get better at doing that much quicker than you do uh, random practice. So if your goal is to make a quick uh, adjustment to the tasks, um, then block practice would probably be an advantage. The, the more overriding concern, and this is what Shea and Morgan's paper uh, is well known for, was that they asked people to come back for retention tests uh, in which they said, okay, come back to the lab a couple days later and we'll see how well you do on these tasks, how well you remember to perform these tasks. And what happened is that even though that block group had done very well during the initial assessment, when they came back, they did very, very poorly. Matter of fact, it seemed as though they performed as if they had not ever practiced the task before. The random group, on the other hand, even though they hadn't done and improved as much during that initial stage, seemed to retain what they had improved very well over the retention interval. So the point was is that block practice is good if you want to show some temporary effects, um, but if you want to have long-term benefits uh, and transferability, you're better off with random practice. And that analogy would be studying for an exam. Uh, if you want to, and this research has been done as well, by the way, uh, if you want to retain information long enough to be relatively successful on a, a test or an examination, then cramming is not a bad strategy. But if you have a goal of retaining that information for uh, any length of time, then what's called spacing practice or, or uh, doing short study intervals over a longer period of time, this is probably a much more effective technique. So what we're learning is that it's proven that beating golf ball after golf ball is not going to help you break 90 or 80. It takes more than just block practice. And this doesn't just apply to golf. Dr. Tim shared a couple of examples with me that really bring this home. One that we should all be able to relate to, whether it brings good or bad memories, and that's math. But you don't teach people to multiply in their head. You don't give them the same problem over and over and over again, because all they can do is remember the solution. If you say, what's 37 times 24? You can you know, figure it out after a period of time and come up with the answer, and I say, okay, what's 37 times 24? Well, you can give me the answer without having to go through the process of solving the problem again. But if you want to teach someone the process of solving the problem, then don't give them the same question again, because they just give you back the solution. What's not going to stick is just repeating the same solution over and over and over again. Because I tell you, quite Assuredly, if I come back to you in a month and say, okay, what's uh, 36 times 24, you'll have forgotten that solution. You're going to have to go back through the whole problem-solving process again, and probably not with any more efficiency than you did the first time. Or complex tasks like surgery. Well, uh, this is where the research of me kicks in, and, you know, we've seen these uh, random block effects over and over and over and over again in 
skills that are simple and also skills that are complex and skills that are more complex than golf skills. You know, I think you start talking about, you've talked about uh, surgical skills, you know, someone learning to become a surgeon and having to, to uh, do sutures that are going to be um, effective and, and look good in the long run. Um, again, the research suggests that random practice is going to be better than block practice. Uh, these are, are not simple skills. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's a lot to digest, but hopefully it's making sense. Not only what we're talking about, but why it matters to golf, because we need to fundamentally shift some habits and shift some patterns that have become ingrained in the current paradigm of golf. If people can have an open mind to at least, uh, um, you know, challenge their own, uh, idealisms and perhaps their own you know, accepted wisdoms and say, you know what, maybe, maybe there are different ways to think about it. And, uh, uh, and, and again, I go back to the research to say, you know, there's a lot of it's out there and, and, uh, and it's kind of pointing to this, this, in this direction and, you know, people should check it out. We need to break down some of these paradigms that have kept golf where it's at. Maybe we even need to tear down some of these driving ranges and rebuild the environments in which we train and practice in. My ideal driving range would have the kinds of um, things that you find on a golf course, like side hill lies, like rough, um, like waste bunkers, like uh, uh, objects in front of them that you have to hit around. Uh, uh, low and high objects that you have to try and hit over, low objects that you try and have to hit under. Those are not typically the things you find on a driving range. And yet those are the things that you encounter on the golf course. And when you encounter them, oftentimes um, you're kind of stuck as to, okay, what do I do now? Because I've never felt with this, dealt with this problem. I've never had this problem on the range before. How am I going to deal with it now? The core of the problem gets back to Practice like you play. Not only with the environment, but also with your action. What you're doing while you're practicing, how you're thinking, how you walk through each shot in your head. And one actual piece of advice, very simply, is to stop hitting balls in the driving range. At the very least, change for, to random practice instead of block. And if you want to even dive deeper into the games and strategies, we have an awesome episode coming up on constraint-based learning that's going to dive into this in more detail. But for now, we all know people who spend a lot of time on the range. They hit the best golf shots of their lives on the range. And when it's time to go to the golf course, everything just goes downhill. Maybe you're even this person. Uh, if this is something that you need to hear. What is going to stick when it comes to practice? You know, when you do something, how do you know that that's going to stick long enough to take it to the course? And I guess my whole point is that that's one of the lessons we've learned about block practice is that you may do something with block practice that seems, okay, yeah, I've got it now. And then you get out in the course and you, said, and you go, okay, I had it. Where did it go? Um, but in random practice or interleave practice, whatever you want to call it, you may not think that you're making as good a, a progress on the practice range, but the research suggests that 
what progress you make is going to stick with you on, on, the, on the course. So, uh, again, I think you have to make that conviction that tough practice, you know, is going to benefit in the long run. If you want to learn more about Dr. Tim's research on motor learning, I highly suggest checking out one of his books. I guess uh, I will. One of the uh, things I've been most proud of over the years uh, was a little book that I wrote a few years ago uh, that came out of a course that I taught at McMaster, and it's called Motor Control and Everyday Actions. And what it is, is it's my attempt to bring the research out into a you know, how does the research help to explain things that we do every day or things that we encounter every day? Uh, and it's just, it was a fun way of, for me, when I was teaching the class of making um, the research interesting to the students in such a way that they would say, okay, you know what? I want to find out more about this because this is an interesting idea and, and there's a research area that, that says we can know more about it. And that is an introduction to motor learning, random and block practice. Something you need to understand before diving deeper as we move along in this season of Golf Science Lab on motor learning and taking your improvement seriously. Thank you so much for Dr. Tim Lee for sharing with us. Make sure to head over to golfsciencelab.com backslash insider to get access to the content first and stay up to date on what we're documenting in golf science. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. Special thanks to the guest, Dr. Tim Lee. It was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. To subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and search for the Golf Science Lab or Stitcher for those of you on Android or Go to the website, golfsciencelab.com, and learn how to subscribe on your phone there. We'll see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab.